0: That it's a lot of fun to fight them,
1: you know. It's a hell of a hoot. Uh, it, it's fun to shoot some people.
0: I'll be right up front you. Yeah, I like brawling. Semper Five. Well, if you've been a Marine, you know those words are a battle cry, a greeting. Their marine shorthand for the motto of the core. for death. Always Faithful. The Bella Woodsman, Episode 4. Um, I'm David. This is Jeff. Hey. And Justin's with me as well. Hey. And um, today, tonight, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about... Just trip to France to see uh, the real Bella Wood, and then we're going to talk about uh, Guns on Post. But I want to thank you all for listening to this because um, if you're listening to this, you have really good taste, and uh, and you deserve to be to be applauded. Um, but uh, I guess before we get into the uh, the next segment, I want to talk about kind of what we've talked about in the last couple of episodes, which is. Uh, We've done a couple of spotlights on people, of course. We've talked about veterans and politics. We've talked about the presidential election and our thoughts on that. And then moving forward, we're going to kind of probably shift format a little bit. And we're going to talk. We're going to try to have a segment every week where we have a either a guest or 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 some kind of special feature that will replace the the quote unquote main topic. And uh, and then we'll also have a current events feature with some other some other things thrown in. The, uh, what, what I, what, I guess what we found during this process is that the current events and the main topic tends to overlap a little bit. For example, last week we talked about, uh, Gary Johnson and we also talked about, um, women in combat. And really we could have talked about women in combat as a current events feature and done something else for a special feature or whatever. But it, it was fine, nothing wrong with that, but, um uh, I want to leave more room for more creativity on our end. So. Uh, with that being said, um, we'll move on to the uh, to kind of our, our, our feature, and our, our our guest is also a host. So um, Jeff, a few years ago, went to France, and I only know about this through Facebook, so I know almost no details about his trip. But I know a lot of us probably have planned at one point or another to go to France if we ever get the chance to go to Bellawood and Wood uh, and make a pilgrimage there like all Marines probably should. Um, and, uh, would you mind telling us, uh, I guess getting us started in discussion about that, Jeff? Yeah, no problem. Uh, my wife, uh, her, uh, sister
1: married a Frenchman. So, uh, we had the opportunity to go to France and, uh, and stay in the north of France in Lille. And I said, uh, you know, at the offset, you know, if we're going to France, uh, I don't care what else we do, uh, we will be going to Bellow Wood. And Mm -hmm. of course, uh, you know, she was okay with that. Um, so uh we go to Paris, spend the afternoon in Paris, take about an hour train ride uh to the east uh to the little town Chateau Thierry, um, which is sort of where the uh the German uh advance towards Paris uh faltered in World War One. Um and then from there uh the American troops were able to you know push into the bell wood and, and the rest is history. Um Chateau Thierry is, is a really, really neat little town. Um and well, first of all, you know every town in france has a a monument towards you know the uh the the dead or the uh the the fallen French soldiers because you know every town in France you know has lost someone uh in World War one or world war two so i mean you know every town in France is steeped in history already. Uh so you get there and what stands uh, out immediately is the uh American monument, uh, which is located on Hill two oh four, um, which is uh nearby uh, Hill one forty two which the the Marines attacked prior to attacking into Bellow Wood. And it's this enormous uh I I guess it's probably uh, marble monument. Uh, and is just basically dedicated to, uh, you know, all the American forces that, you know, uh, died in you know, uh, retaking, uh, you know, Chateau Thierry and Bella Wood. Um, so the next day, uh, we get up and, uh, we, we spend the night in Bella Wood. We get there pretty in, in the evening. The, the next day we get up and we actually go to, uh, the American cemetery there. And, uh, I got pretty lucky. Uh, I walked into the visitor center there, and the, the I was wearing, you know, my like an eagle globe and anchor shirt with, you know, the Dan Daly uh, quote on the back of it, you know. Um, and you know, he immediately recognized, you know, A, I'm an American, and you know, B, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Marine. And he takes it upon himself. This is the caretaker of the uh, the cemetery to give me an entire tour of the battlefield. He puts me in his POV and starts driving me uh, all the way around up into the wood uh to the uh, the German positions um up in up in the trees that are actually still there um you can so he spoke English Yeah yeah he spoke English oh yeah for sure Cool yeah cool. he was a, he was a Frenchman he was uh, you know hired by um I, I graves and and registries I I guess I that that might be the name of it it's I guess uh department is part of the department of the interior I, I don't know exactly how it falls under that but yes he he was a Frenchman spoke English and you know he took it upon himself to take me around the battlefield so he takes me up to the German position, and you can see where the trench lines are. And he basically just, you know, uh, left me up there and said, you know, go, you know, do whatever. I'll, I'll be here when you, when you get back. And from a, a machine gunner standpoint, it's absolutely amazing looking down onto the wheat field uh, and thinking that anyone can make it uh, across that. I mean, because you can see you know there's a defense in depth and you know you look i look as a machine gunner i'm standing in a german position and i'm like okay i'd put uh my machine gun over there and i go over there i kick around on some leaves and you know i'd find the next you know german position it was absolutely ridiculously dug in uh with you know uh, machine guns all across the front
0: you going back a little bit where did you stay when you were there uh I, i stayed in chateau Thierry.
1: i don't remember the name of the motel. Um, it was, you know, I'd say motel six quality. I mean, and and I paid about that much too, but you know, it wasn't bad. Hmm.
0: So anyone making the, uh, the pilgrimage, is that something you'd advise them to do to stay there? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and and maybe I can figure out the name of the
1: place, uh, that I, um, that I stayed at and you can put it in the program notes too. But yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was inexpensive. Uh, food was good and, um, yeah, I mean it was a nice little place to stay. I, I definitely I paid you know under a hundred bucks to stay there for the night, so I mean which is a decent price in France.
0: Cool. So you have the uh, you have the bulldog fountain there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, little devil dog fountain.
0: Cool. You can you can drink from that, take water home from it. I, I did. Yeah. I did
1: both. Yeah, I uh, I drank my fill and uh, I took water home. Uh, I mean that's actually the the fountain um, where I guess Belleau. I mean in French is beautiful water. Um, and if, if, you go strictly by history and I don't want to blaspheme, uh, Marines probably, uh, you know, did not drink from that fountain during the battle, just, you know, based off where the fountain is and the direction that the Marines were attacking, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, probably didn't, you know, I mean, is it, you know, coincidental that there is a, you know, a a bulldog fountain there and that, you know, we were named double dogs at that, uh, battle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's. It's kind of cool, but you know in in actuality in real you know history probably didn't happen that way right yes yeah, so.
0: and the the fount, the, fountain, the fountain precedes the battle right it now. does yes it does justin you have any questions
2: uh no that uh, sounds amazing i i uh that's one of the several places uh I need to make a pilgrimage to Isabella Wood
0: so were you able to get into the? F- I've heard that the gates locked to get into that fountain. Um, it. I guess the the guy let you in, but I'm not sure if there's a way. If there's if it's common for it to be uh, closed or.
1: Uh, it's you know it's on you know somebody's private property, but I mean the guy had a key and he let me into it. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it is it is locked. It's uh right there at the uh the place du Pershing, uh which is the. Uh, sort of the, the museum of the battle, which I was not able to see because it was closed on the day that we went.
0: Okay, so there's a museum there on site, and it's it's right it's right near the cemetery, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, everything, it's, it's walking distance, um, you know, from the cemetery, I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, a quarter-mile walk, uh, you know, sort of down a hill to, to get to uh, the place to uh, General Pershing and, and the Devil Dog Fountain. Okay.
0: All right. Well, cool. Um, so your sister married a Frenchman?
1: No, no, no. My wife's sister married a Frenchman. All
0: right. So, so your wife's sister married a Frenchman. Okay. I'm glad I, I'm glad I cleared that up. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to give you merciless grief about that. What practical advice would you have to someone that was uh, planning to go over there and see all that?
1: I guess, uh, the, the biggest thing is, is that I felt a little rushed. Um, I would have loved to go up there and <laughs> spend an entire day, you know, just in the German trench line, just walk the line. Um, you know, I, I probably spent about two hours doing it, um, you know, and then, you know, I, we drove back around to the wheat field and I spent, you know, just probably 20 minutes taking pictures of the wheat field. I mean, I you know, go up there, um, you know, have a taxi drop you off, you know, tell them to come pick you up, you know, hours later. Uh, I You know, if if you're a fan of history, you will not be bored up there. Uh, they've they've got uh, I mean good God I mean the uh, the forest up there you know in the German position you know it's almost a virgin forest uh, now because no sawmill could cut any of the lumber there because it was so full of metal so it's
0: yeah I've seen I've seen pictures of like the um, the Verdun battlefield and all that and that to this day the ground is so like mashed and just uh, uh, pocket pocked basically. That it looks like um, like someone with cleats was just walking across the ground. Yes, um, which is amazing. Well, all right. Well, thanks for all that. Well, um, well,
1: the uh, the, the German cemetery also worth seeing. Um, you know, uh, a, a little bit off the site. Uh, I mean, if if you go to see one cemetery, I, I would advise you go seeing the other cemetery. The uh, the difference is is that the German cemetery the uh, the soldiers <laughs> are buried four to a grave, and then. Uh, there's only, you know, so much room for that. And then there's a mass German grave behind that. It's very interesting. I mean, to, to you know, you need to experience both sides of the history, I would think.
0: Hmm. I would think so. Um, yeah, I think that would be – because we've talked about going to France over the years. We never get around to it or we've, you know, always done something else. We've, with the money we've spent on other vacations, we probably could have gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife went a few years ago to uh, – to france and spent five weeks there actually and she went to normandy and all that Mm -hmm. um which was really cool but uh but you know she didn't it's not really a big thing for anybody else i assume to go and see that cemetery and battlefield uh but anyway so moving on um thanks for that and um maybe we'll try did you ever go to iwo jima when you were in uh
1: Okinawa. I did not. No, no, sure didn't. Uh, went to uh, Guam, Tinian, and Palau, uh, and then well, obviously the battle sites tour in Okinawa also. But
0: all right, outrage of the week is a new feature we're going to be doing. Where um, I'm going to we'll turns doing this, but I'm going to start out uh, highlighting a something that has happened that really ought to offend every single Marine uh, from coast to coast. Um, and uh, this story comes out of Phoenix, Arizona. <clears throat> Jim Dupless, a uh, retired Marine sergeant, retired because he uh, lost a limb in combat, uh, was spotted apparently on, uh, in the front yard of his house. And his four-year-old son was with him, and his four-year-old son uh, took it upon himself apparently at some point to put on his uh, Sergeant Dupless's Marine Corps cover. Um, and you and I both know that that four year old did not earn that Eagle Globe and Anchor. That's right. And, uh, and frankly, I'm a little pissed off about it. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, <clears throat> something needs to be done about it. Frankly, um, we can all just sit around here and just pretend that that tradition doesn't matter anymore, but, but, you know, I don't care how many limbs you lost, uh, that when that kid, uh, puts on that, uh, Eagle Globe and Anchor, you need to to correct him immediately. What do you guys think?
2: He should still be in the corner, and he shouldn't have yeah. eaten by now. Yeah, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I just uh, I'm just disgusted
1: by the whole thing, frankly. Just knife hands, just, knife hands, akimbo. Right. He should be knife handed into oblivion.
0: <laughs> Pro- <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, maybe an axe stomp, maybe to the back of the head. That's right. Possibly a,
1: a motive, uh, with a motivated axe stomp.
0: With a with a a shout of hurrah, um, because um, anyway a message needs to be needs to be sent. So uh, Sergeant Dupless need to fix that right now. All right, moving on um, to the uh, the Friday libo brief from Jeff.
1: Okay, fucksticks. Just like the gunny said, always stay out of the three H's: the headlines, the handcuffs, and the hospitals. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a that's <laughs> solid advice across the board. I would say.
1: And if you go there, uh, you better not be alone. <laughs> and don't be silly. Always wrap your willy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good advice for life. I would say. Um, so, all right. Thanks for that. Um, now on to the uh, the current events topic, which is um, whether or not we ought to be arming. Our Marines on base and at recruiting stations, and I'll go back and talk about quickly a few just a few things that have happened in the last couple years. <clears throat> First off, in 2007, we know about the uh, the Fort Dix attack plot, where uh, six radical Islamists planned to uh, stage an attack on Fort Dix using um, <clears throat> using uh, assault rifles. Uh, I think they had stockpiled some weapons. Um, the Fort Hood shooting in 2009, um, where the uh, – I can't remember the guy's name. Um, yeah, the uh, – what was he? He was a doctor, I think, or a psychiatrist or something like shrink. that. Shrink, yeah. And he uh, <clears throat> he went in with a um, fn Seven, and uh, let's see, he killed – uh, 13 people and inflicted 33 non-fatal injuries and the victims, all of them were preparing for deployment, as I recall, and none of them were armed obviously. And then in 2015, which affects the Marine Corps directly, the shooting at the Chattanooga Station in, uh, in Tennessee where um, five Marines were killed um, by a Uh, Islamic extremist, homegrown Islamic extremist, wielding an AK-47, a Sega 12 shotgun, and a 9mm handgun. He also inflicted two other non-fatal injuries and then committed suicide. So I guess the question here is whether Marines ought to be armed on base, whether that's good policy, whether the Marines at the recruiting stations should be armed as policy, should they have private weapons of their own that they're allowed to carry? Should they um, be issued weapons when they're at recruiting stations or on base? Should, um, should, how, how would that how would that fit in with the, you know the whole uniform requirements and all that stuff? Um, I guess that's that's the question, and it kind of the issue's have kind of fallen from the news a little bit since uh, all this stuff happened last year. It's kind of faded away. But I really think we're only one, one more incident like this from happening, from it being discussed again in the news. Um, I guess I'll start with Justin. What do you think?
2: I think recruiting stations are a no brainer because they're used, you know, in malls in easily accessible areas where mm-hmm. if somebody was planning an attack, you know exactly where to go and when to go, and there's no checkpoint like there is on a base. I, th- mm-hmm. I, I think. That, out of out the public like that, it's a good idea. Whether it's personal weapons or issued weapons, nah, I don't know. I, I, I hate yeah. to think that you're going to prevent somebody from carrying their own gun, but you're also in uniform. Uh, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's an issue. Is you know you have these recruiters tend to wear charlies or whatever uh, or deltas, and you know how would you carry a personal weapon when you're car- when you're wearing deltas? And also, the you know, the question is statistically, you know, what are the odds of this kind of thing happening again? Um, they have to be low, relatively speaking. Hopefully. And and you know, how would how would that factor in? How would the odds of this happening plus, you know, the I guess the impact this would have on on marine policy across the board? I guess you have to think about how that would that would impact the individual marine. Uh, and how that would how that would affect the image of the Corps? What do you think, Jeff? Uh, can you tell me the question again? I, I got a little bit lost in it. The question is, just basic, just 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 your thoughts on whether whether Marines ought to be armed on base or or. Okay, I got it. All
1: right, so I mean, in the recruiting station, I guess, like you know, Justin was saying, um, I mean, whether or not they need to be armed, I mean, they should definitely be able to, uh, you know, carry their own personal weapons, uh, you know. And have them in the office, you know, carry them around in a, in a helmet bag or, you know, in, in some sort of bag. I mean, they shouldn't be not allowed to carry a weapon, if they so choose, in the recruiting office. I mean, because, you know, it's a, it's a pretty high-profile, you know, target. It's a definitely a soft target. They don't have the, uh, um, the benefits of being, you know, protected by a front gate or PMO. Uh, so, I mean, you know, if they feel like they, you know, want to carry their uh, personal weapon, you know, I, I think that they should be allowed to.
0: Right. Well, the, well and well, getting back to the the uh, I guess when I started off, I was talking about the the incidents that happened on base. Uh, there seems to be agreement between between you guys that uh, between all of us, really, I guess, that that Marines who were at recruiting stations and in, in kind of the uh, civilian world. If they, they, they should be able to have access to a weapon if they if they so choose I think that's fine. I don't see anyone I mean realistically when they think about it I don't think anyone can can rationally amount a, a, a plausible you know uh, attack on that because these are Marines who are these are the kinds of people you want to have guns in the first place I think um, but what about guns on base? Um, what do you think Justin?
2: well, I was thinking about this earlier, and uh, having lived in the barracks for my entire career, I don't know that it's it's the best idea to have weapons in, in an environment that can sometimes get I won't say out of control, but you know, people drink and you're know, you getting fights. I, I I would hate for there be to be a tragedy because there was a weapon involved in a drunken brawl at the barracks. At same, so At the same time, you know, you've, you've got – like you said, the, the, the base shootings, uh, easily easily avoidable if, if, if they were allowed to carry. So I don't know. It, it's hard.
0: Jeff, do you think Marines check their Second Amendment rights once they cross, cross onto base?
1: Ooh. Um, yes. I'm not wrong. Am I? I mean
0: – I think it's fair to say that when you join the military, you automatically – you're giving up your right to to free speech. You know, you're giving up some of your First Amendment rights, obviously, because you can't, um, you know, you can't speak out against your command. You can't, you can't you're not supposed to be able to like denigrate the commander in chief. I mean, you're you can't can't you can't engage in political campaigns. Um, you know, I think that, and also you can't. It's not like you have freedom of association anymore. You can't just pack up and leave. So I think that it's fair to say that once you cross. Once you join the military at all, once you sign that paperwork, you've immediately forfeited some of your rights, including your, some of your religious freedom rights. I mean you, you obviously, if you're in certain situations and you can't worship, then you can't worship. you know that's, that's just how it is. Um, and I think that, that's, that it's fair to say that, that you do forfeit some of those. and the question is, I guess, do, does the Second Amendment is it one of those rights that you, that you give up? Um, you know? I think it's a it's a fair question and I would say that personally I would say like like Justin was saying in the barracks I can't imagine what kind of madness would have gone down had we all had loaded handguns in the barracks
1: well I mean you know if you think about it from a deployment standpoint I mean you know we're much more controlled you know much more on point you know there's you know a lot less shenanigans and people still you know every deployment have a negligent discharge or nd you know, uh, you know, someone, you know, is always, you know, doing something. And then, you know, that's when there's, you know, the most supervision. So, I mean, you know, like y'all said, I mean, having been, you know, in the fleet for 10 years, I mean, you know, just having witnessed what goes on on a Thursday night, um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, you know, one in five people having handguns or, you know, any kind of guns. I mean, you know, the ridiculousness, would go through the roof. I would think of course, you know, maybe I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but,
0: you know, in my experience, I think you're, I think you're okay to not give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> you know, uh, what do you think about that, Justin?
2: I, I would have to agree. You, you give up rights. You obviously yeah. give up rights whenever you join the military. You know, it's, it's, that's the thing. A lot of people don't realize you, you're, you're very regimented into what you do and say, Especially for the first thirteen weeks, I mean, you pretty much, I sir, yes sir, no sir. That's pretty much all you should say for the entire time you're at boot camp. But even beyond that, yeah, you, you still. You you, yeah. you still can't live a free life like you would. You can't just go in and quit your job. You know, it, it's different.
0: Yeah, well, and also I think it's a, there's a deeper legal question that's never been answered that I, I'm aware of that that deals with Second Amendment among the active duty military. I think they've gone out of their way, or they've made steps to – a long time ago, I guess. They made steps to accommodate Marines so they can have private weapons and live in the barracks, but you have to store those weapons in the armory. That's Mm -hmm.
1: true. That's correct. Uh,
0: Did you know anybody that had uh, weapons in the armory, Jeff?
1: Uh, Yeah, actually. I I don't know who, but uh, I recall – uh, there was a big kerfluffle or whatever. Somebody coming back off leave, you know, they've they've uh, got a weapon, they've got a, you know, tell their platoon sergeant, platoon sergeant tells the first sergeant, the first sergeant's, you know, like okay, you got to go take your thing to the weapon uh, to the armory. I don't remember much more than that though.
0: Yeah, I remember. It seems like I remember Ortega, who worked in the armory at the time, telling me that someone had a private weapon in the army, but I can't remember who it was um, or what the circumstance was. But it seemed like a, it was kind of a. Just an annoyance, kind of an odd thing to have laying on the armory, yeah. some, somebody's personal firearm. I wouldn't um,
2: trust
0: it. Yeah, that that would, really got fingers. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Come back with the, uh, you know, with about a thousand rounds through it, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, when and we we all of us were stationed in California, um, which had you know has you know Gestapo like gun laws even back then. Yeah. Um. I think that – I remember one of the guys in the platoon, um, I can't – I won't say his name, but he bought a gun and had to jump through all the hoops of getting it registered and the waiting period and all that. Like, uh, and Then he, he, lived on, he lived in base housing, so he was allowed to keep it, but I still think there was a limit on the number of weapons you could have in base housing, I think. But I never lived in base housing, so I'm not really sure. Maybe someone could comment or send us a message on Twitter and tell us whether there was a limit in base housing on their base if they were – they we're staying at, but I think that, you know, what it comes down to is, you know, I, I'm a gun guy and I love guns and I, I have, I have a few of my own and, and uh, I have a concealed carry permit. I would be willing to bet that Jeff and Justin do as well. I'm a good liberal, uh, I don't own
2: guns. Don't don't come knocking on my door looking for
0: them. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> but, but uh, um, you know, when it comes down to it. You got to think about the situation, and it's—I guess it's the equivalent of, of being in like a fraternity house or a college dorm. Um, I guess what you want gunning around, and I think that as long as, as people have reasonable access to the to the weapons, that it's okay. It's just a—you know—it's just—it's kind of a hard question to answer, period, because you think about those those lives that could have been saved at uh, Fort Hood, and if someone had had a weapon, anyone, you know. And if I recall, I'm not sure how it all went down, but it seems like I think the MPs showed up finally and 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 uh, and shot uh, Hassan, whatever his name yeah, was. Hassan. After he'd, after he'd already offed you know, the people that he, that he killed, you know, I don't know. It's it's just hard. And you think about it, I think that the whole gun control question and all the mass shootings and all that stuff speak, I think, more to a a cultural illness in this country than anything else. Because um, gun crime is actually going down. Violent crime is going down, they say. Um, gun violence is, is lower than it's been in a long time, they say. They say. Um, they say. But, um, but I think that with the mass shootings and people seeking attention, it's, it's kind of a, a cultural issue in this country that I think we need to deal with before we start talking about taking away people's guns. Um, and I don't think it's – there's no way I can envision – in this country anyway, any any politician coming to office or any any group of politicians coming to office that try to seize weapons from people just because I don't think that – I think that they'll appreciate pretty quickly that that would not have a good result. <laughs> um, and you're going to take people who are law-abiding citizens and turn them into, into violent criminals basically. Um, but I digress. Um, so I guess we can all kind of conclude that – maybe there's not an answer to the question. Is that fair to say?
2: That's that's fair. I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, I have a, we have policies at work that prevent me from, from carrying a gun. You know, you can't carry mm-hmm. it into federal in into the courthouses or federal buildings as it is. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not stripping of your rights, but you can't come in here with it. It's right. kind of the same thing on base, I guess, if you want to look at it that way.
0: Yeah, and, and, and again, you got to look at the statistics statistical probability of being murdered by someone on base because I'd be willing to bet that on base violent crime is low, lower than it is out in society. And that may have to do more, again, like we talked about, the cultural issues is that the Marine Corps tends to have this uh, this culture of camaraderie that I think is more pervasive than it is in society at large. And um, I can't speak for the Army or the Air Force or the Navy, but I never felt unsafe on base, um, and unless B-52s are flying overhead. <laughs> or, or unless, yeah, or, or unless, you know, the uh, uh, artillery was, was, uh, you know, off, which happened once or twice. Um, but I never, but in, in civilian clothes, walking around, I never felt unsafe any time of day. Um, so I guess maybe it's overreaction to say we should have, um, Marines carrying guns around in their free time, you know? So, is that fair enough, Jeff? I agree. Okay. All right, so um, moving on to the memorial moment from Justin.
2: Uh, see, tonight we're going to – we're talking about since Jeff went to Bella Wood and we're or the Bella Woodsman, uh, we're going to remember Gunnery Sergeant Ernest A. Jansen, who uh, received the, the Medal of Honor – Uh, at Bella Wood, uh, after he repelled the advance of 12 German soldiers, killing two with his bayonet before the others fled. So here's to, uh, Gunny Jansen. Hoorah, number Five.
0: Hoorah.